try to give you Psalm 77 and 78. We're teaching chapter by chapter and verse by verse in these Psalms. We've progressed from the first Psalm down this far, and we want to continue with our lessons. I want you to notice verse 13. We read it and dealt with it somewhat in our last uh, lesson. It says, uh, Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great as great a God as our God? We know that God's way is in the sanctuary. It's in the uh, tabernacle. It's in the church. It's in His presence. And this is where we find out His uh, blessings. In the sanctuary, uh, the psalmist found out about God's ways. And uh, if you remember, we quoted Psalm 73 uh, time and time again where uh, the psalmist was bewildered and and awe-stricken with the... uh, prosperity of the wicked and and all down till you get to verse 16 and 17 he says i was foolish i was ignorant i didn't know what to do and then verse 17 he says until i went into the sanctuary of god then understood i therein and then he confesses how foolish he was to be envious at the prosperity of the wicked so we find that in the house of god you learn uh, many things and sometimes great blessings are missed when we fail to assemble together. Did you know that the people that fail to assemble, they miss the blessing? In the 20th of John, let me just relate this to you. John chapter 20, uh, I want you to notice these verses. Uh, beginning with verse uh, 19. John 20 verse 19. It says, Then the, then the same day at evening... Being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst, in, in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. Now this is after Christ's resurrection, and he said to the, uh, the ones he is appearing to, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Look, it was a blessing. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Verse 24 says, But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. Look at all the things that happened. Verse 20, they were glad when they saw the Lord. Verse 21, again, Jesus said, Peace uh, be unto you. He had said it before. Then he commissioned them, and he says, I send you. Then he says, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. And then he says, Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. You see, it pays to be in the presence of God's people. It pays to be where God is and where He blesses His people as a congregation. In other words, when all else fails, go to church. Be in the house of God. And some way or another, you may not have the best preacher in the world or the best teacher in the world, but if he preaches and teaches the Word of God, you're going to get a blessing from it somewhere along the line. It just can't help but bless you. And so, be in the house of God. Back in our psalm now, as we're teaching, look in the next verse. It says in verse 14, Now hold your place where we're studying, because that's the way we study the Bible, is chapter by chapter and verse by verse. In verse 14, it says, Thou art the God that doest wonders. 
he was made to realize that the, the, the psalmist was made to realize that we have a wonder working God that he works all things after the counsel of his own will he doeth great wonders and we find that in Romans 8 verse 28 it says and we know we don't guess about it but and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose by the way there are two to thems in that passage to them that love God and to them who are called according to his purpose and uh, it says and we know so we have the confidence that whatever God does in our lives and sometimes we perceive it to be uh, negative or not good for us but God has a positive side to all of those things he can turn it around and work it out for our good and for his glory and he does that in our lives we're thankful that he's able to overrule the bad things and bring good out of them now then look at verse uh, 15 thou hast with thy well we didn't read all of verse 14 thou hast declared thy strength among the people that's verse 14 in verse 15 thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people we're talking about God's strong arm of redemption it says the sons of Jacob and Joseph Selah the sons of Jacob and Joseph and God's arm speaks of his power so he is made to realize also that God is a God of redemption and by the way God is a God of redemption even Job of old says oh that my redeemer for, uh, for I know that my redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth he says I know that my redeemer liveth by the way in that passage in Job 19 in verse 23 he says oh that my words were now written oh that they were printed in a book and by the way Job we have good news for you they are God printed them in his book and he says that they were graven with an iron pen and led in the rock forever for I know that my redeemer liveth that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth and though after my skin worms destroy this body yet in my flesh shall I see God He's going to be resurrected. Whom I shall see for, my, see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. So Job knew that his Redeemer was living. So in this Psalm 77, and uh, verse uh, 15, Thou hast with thine arm, thine arm speaks of God's power, redeemed thy people. It says, The sons of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. Then in verse 16, The waters saw thee, O God, the waters saw thee, they were afraid. The depths also were troubled. He's not only a God of redemption, but he's a God of nature and of the elements. God has control over all the elements. Remember when the children of Israel were trying to escape out of Egypt and they came against the Red Sea? And the Bible says that God, uh, the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all the, that night that God used the elements of the wind to move the sea back and to open the way for the children of Israel to cross so he is a God of the elements it says in verse 17 the clouds poured out water the sky sent out a sound thine arrows also went abroad the voice of thy thunder was in the, in the heaven the lightnings lighted the world the earth trembled and shook so all the elements are under God's control and then in verse 19 it says, Thy way is in the sea, and thy path in the great waters, and thy footsteps are not known. 
some of his ways are hard to understand and past our finding out and past our understanding. It says, footsteps, thy footsteps are not known. If you read in the book of Hebrews, not Hebrews, but Romans 11, verse 33, it says, O the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. His ways past finding out. Then look at the last verse in this 77th Psalm, and we get into 78. It says, Thou ledest thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. He leads his flock like a shepherd. And by the way, he does not drive them. The devil is the one that drives. Remember, it says legion was this man possessed with demons in the New Testament was driven of the devil. But God leads. We sing a song, he leads his dear children along. Jesus said that we are his sheep of his pasture as his children. Psalm 95, verse 7, let me read this for you. It says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. He is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, so we're compared to sheep, and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart, so we should listen to God. Another passage of scripture in Isaiah 40, and verse 11, it says this, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd, he shall gather the lambs with his arm, and carry them in his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young. In that Isaiah 40, 40, Isaiah 40, verse 11, notice these things. He shall feed his flock, feed, gather the lambs in his arm, carry them in his bosom, shall gently lead those that are with young. So we see God's care for his people. Uh, it's much compared to what Jacob did of old when he met Esau, you know. He was afraid to be restored to his brother Esau back in the book of Genesis. And uh, we find that uh, when he met Esau, well, he offered him a, uh, Jacob offered him a present of great flocks and etc. that he had made up for a present for his brother because he had uh, run, ran away from Esau on bad terms. And verse 9 it says, and this is Genesis 33, verse 9, Esau said, I have enough, my brother, keep that that thou hast unto thyself. And then we find that uh, when they were going to separate for a little while, that uh, verse 12 says, he said, let us take our journey and let us go and I will go before thee. And this is Jacob speaking now. And he said unto, he said unto him, he's speaking to Esau, my Lord knoweth that the children are tender... And the flocks and herds with young are with me. And if men should overdrive them one day, all the flock will die. He says, Let my Lord, I pray thee, pass over before his servant, and I will lead on softly according to the cattle that goeth before me, and the children be able to endure until I come unto my Lord unto Seir. So Jacob was very cautious about leading and guiding the flock of old. And God is more so concerning you and I. Now then, let's get into the uh, 78th Psalm, if you will, please. And in this 78th Psalm, we have the national history of Israel and how it was preserved as a lesson of instructions for us, really. Someone says, well, what does the Old Testament, and what does Israel, and what does the nation... 
What does the people of God in the Old Testament have to do with you and I? Why not preach the New Testament? Well, I'll tell you. I'll let you in on a secret. You probably already know it. Maybe we both got a secret. But you cannot preach the New Testament without preaching the Old Testament. I've heard people say, well, I'll just preach the New Testament. Because in Romans 15.4, Paul says, Whatsoever things, now listen carefully, were written aforetime, were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, and all they had at that time was the Old Testament, might have hope. So if, you're, if they're written for our learning, we must study them. And we have a warrant to study the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11 tells us that all these things happened to them for in samples. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11. Now all these things happened unto them for examples or in samples or types. And they are written for our admonition. They're written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So the things that happened to Israel were written to admonish us. And then that Romans 15.4 gives us full warrant to study the Old Testament and apply it uh, as it should be applied to ourselves in the scriptural way of application. Sometimes people misapply things and uh, the devil is very uh, deceitful about that because if you remember in the great temptation in the the Gospel of Matthew and also Luke's Gospel, both of them in chapter 4, you'll find that Satan tried to tempt Jesus and he tried to misuse the word of God and he quoted from one of the Psalms and he said for Jesus to jump off the pinnacle of the temple he says because it's written you see the devil said it is written he shall give his angels charge concerning thee uh, and they shall bear thee up lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone when you go back and read the Psalm from whence that was quoted you'll find that the devil not only uh, takes it out of its context and misinterprets it but he leaves off to where that uh, the Scripture applies to himself, uh, Satan himself, and his destruction. You see, he only uses a little part of it and in a deceitful way. Have you ever heard people say, Well, you know, they quoted the Scripture to me. That's not nothing. The devil can quote Scripture. He's good at that. You know, it doesn't make any difference. They may misquote it. They may misuse it. They may misapply it. Just because a scripture is quoted doesn't mean anything unless you have it in its proper context and meaning. And you, you, you need, that's why you need to rightly divide the word of truth. You know, I find that there are many people, and I trust that I'm praying that our group will never be guilty of it, of just being so gullible that just because they hear a sermon and it sounds pretty good, that they just swallow it lock, stock, and barrel, you know. And that's not good. You need to find out if what is being preached and taught is scriptural. Is, does, it, does the Word of God uh, teach that very thing? I remember one time we went to a meeting. Uh, I think I mentioned it to you in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I was pastoring Mount Pleasant Baptist Church at that time. And we, there was a tent meeting out there. And one of the deacons wanted to go. And we went over there and we listened. They didn't have a sign-up of any kind. I don't think uh, they might have been kind of embarrassed to put their sign up at that time. And anyway, uh, singing was good. They had a good song. It was real wonderful. Good special. Young men singing. They sang about uh, the 90 and 9, and it was very touching and very spiritual. And lo and behold, a preacher got up and he preached. And he turned around and he said that, People, you people that worship on the Lord's Day, you've taken the mark of the beast and you got it from the Catholic Church. 
And you know what denomination teaches that. I'm not going to call them by name. But when we start back in the automobile, my deacon, he said, you know, I said, that's a pretty good sermon. And I said, yeah, it was real good, except there wasn't a word of truth in it. You know, that's the thing about it. People don't value it for what it's worth. They just, they just swallow it up and say, you know, well, that sounds pretty good. But sounding good and being truthful is, is two different things. And I pray that God will give everyone here a, a discerning spirit to tell when you hear the truth preached and when you do not. And He's given you that anointing in your heart. Of every Christian, every child of God has the Holy Spirit. And uh, He's given us anointing. And in the book of 1 John it says, You need not that any man teach you, but you have an unction from the Holy One, uh, and that He teaches you all things. And so it doesn't mean you do not need a teacher, but it means that the real teacher is the Holy Spirit that teaches through the Word of God. That's what it's talking about. So we get back to this now. Uh, we're in, uh, uh, by the way, Psalm 78, and we've just been talking about an introduction to, to this psalm. I want you to notice, and we'll take it uh, verse by verse, and this is a whole history of, the, of Israel and how their history, national history was preserved. And how these things apply to us. And uh, so we'll start with verse 1. It says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. He says, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. He's going to tell of all the things that happened to the nation, people of, of Israel, and the nation of Israel in years gone by. Which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing... Uh, to the generation to come, the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. For He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. The first thing in these first five verses, you see how these things were preserved. They were passed on from generation to generation. The things that happened to the nation of Israel the people of God was passed on from one generation to another. And in verses 6 through 8, we find the purpose of keeping a good and true record. Here's the purpose of it. That the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. You see how it's passed from one uh, family to another, one uh, from parents to children, children to, to their this, uh their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Look at that. You see, it was given and preserved to, the record was given so that they might uh, benefit by it. That they might not forget God, in verse 7. That they might set their hope in God. And verse 7 says that they might keep His commandments. And then it says that they might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. Because their fathers were a stubborn and rebellious generation. If you remember that they were filled with unbelief, and, and the Bible says it was because of unbelief that God would not permit them to enter into Canaan's land. That whole adult generation from 20 years old and upward died out in the wilderness. And only their children were able to enter into the land, saving two men, Joshua and Caleb. 
that wholly, totally followed the Lord. And the rest of them died in the wilderness. Because of what? Unbelief. And because of their sin of rebellion against God. They wouldn't believe God. So we find that uh, the purpose of keeping a good and true record is so that they might benefit by it, both in the things that were done wrong and the things that uh, might produce hope in uh, God and, and cause them not to forget God and cause them to keep His commandments. Uh, it says in verse 8, And might not be as their fathers a stubborn, rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart, look at that, set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Remember this generation that we're talking about of people? At times they were real high and enthused. Oh, we're going to follow God. All that God says, we'll do. Remember when he, the law was given on Sinai? They said, all that God said, we're going to do. We will obey. And before he, Moses could get down off of the mountain, they had made the golden calf to worship, right? And bowed down before it and were doing all kinds of vulgar and sensual and adulterous and uh, terrible things before a golden calf and said, These be our gods that brought us out of Egypt. And Moses came down with the commandments and he heard the noise. Joshua called it to his attention. And Moses took the tables of stone and he threw them down. They had broken the law, so he broke the tables of the covenant. He took that golden calf and ground it to powder and made them drink of that idol worship that they had set up throwed it in the river, throwed it up on the water, made them drink of it. You have to drink of the fruit of your own ways many times. They committed sin and idolatry, and God says, I'll just give you a taste of that if that's what you want. You know, sometimes we say, you know, why is this happening to me? Well, maybe we're just drinking to some of it, and uh, we better be careful. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Look at this. In verse uh, uh, 9, the and we'll read verses 9 through 11. <clears throat> it says, The children of Ephraim, remember, this is one of the sons of uh, Joseph, a special one, a very special person. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in His law and forget His works and His wonders that He had uh, showed them. Look at this. The mistakes made by the tribe of Ephraim, one that God expected a great deal out of because they were especially chosen, and Joseph put his blessing upon Ephraim, and Jacob had done that. So we find that uh, it says, being armed and carrying bows turned back in the day of battle. We find that they were guilty of cowardice. You know, you and I are well armed against uh, the wiles of the devil and against the sins that try to overtake us. But sometimes we just become cowardly in the day of battle in confronting those things. We need to face up to our uh, enemies. The world and the flesh and the devil are great enemies, the three great enemies of our souls. And you and I need to face them head on. And it doesn't mean that we're unarmed. The Bible says we have the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. It says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places or in the heavenlies. And it says, take unto you the whole armor of God. Take the sword of the, the helmet of salvation. Take the shield of faith. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. By the way, 
when it says take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's not the sword of me. It's not the sword of you. It's the sword of the Spirit. And if we're going to wield that sword of the Spirit, we have to do it with the Holy Spirit's help. We don't do it ourselves. I appreciate what Brother Randy said a little bit ago about conversions and about talking to people and witnessing to people. We want things that are done to be genuine and of God. We've seen too much of this, you know, uh, pressuring people. That you you just got to make a decision before you leave the building. You don't have to. But if God convicts you, you ought to. And you probably will if he convicts you. But if Brother Randy and I twist your arms and try to drag you here and there and, and get you to do it, well, you know, like I said Dr. Norris one time was walking down the streets in Fort Worth and this old guy comes staggering up to him. He says, Dr. Norris, he says, you know, you may not recognize me, but he says, I'm one of your converts. Dr. Norris, he looked at him, he says, you must be. You're, you're sure not one of the Lord's. God changes you, you're changed. And sometimes we have converts, and God has converts, don't we? And we want God to do the work. And by the way, we have gotten to the place many, uh, so much in our society and in, our, uh, in the religious world that we've left God out of a few things. That he, He's really the head of it all, and we better begin to wise up and include Him and let Him do the work. And we're to be the servant and the minister. Paul says, one planteth, another watereth, but God giveth what? The increase. And it's God that giveth the increase. Okay, let's go back to this. These children of Ephraim, they were being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. Look at verse 10. They kept not the covenant of God. Look. They rebelled against God's will and refused to walk in His law. They refused, just flat out refused. They wouldn't keep the covenant of God. They had made vows, oh yes, we'll follow you, God. But they wouldn't keep them. How many people are like that? God, I'm ready to go with you. I want to follow you. And lo and behold, when the going gets tough, they turn back. And they and then finally it's refusal. They refuse to walk in his law. You know, if you're willing, you can follow God. You may have a struggle doing it. You may have trials and temptations. You may have a lot of things to face. You may have uh, all the enemies of the soul to overcome. But God will make you an overcomer if you're willing. But you've got to be willing. He'll give you the strength to do it. But you can't just make up your mind and say, Well, you know, it's pretty hard, so I'll just not do it. When you say not do it, that's a deliberate act against not following God. And that's what Ephraim was doing. It says... They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in His law. In verse 11 it says, And forget His works. Look, <coughs> they were ungrateful and His wonders that He had showed them. They were ungrateful for what God had done. They forget His works. You know, you and I might need to check up uh, quite often and find out if we remember how good God has been to us. Wouldn't hurt to check up, would it? God has been really good to us. We, his works are good for us. We look back in the past and we could see what we could have been apart from God's grace. And it's not a pretty picture, is it? I'll tell you one thing. <laughs> we can thank Him for what He's done for us and His grace and love. And uh, <clears throat> I'm sure that every one of us here can do that. I look back on my life and I think of all the things that could have happened had it not been for God intervening and making it 
and getting my life lined out, putting a straight course before me and saying, you go the right way. And, you know, God is able to do that for every one of us. He's able to get you on the right course. and You're going to have battles along the way, and you'll have uh, struggles and trials financially, physically, maybe with sickness, maybe with the turmoils, maybe with financial upsets or whatever may come. But God, if He lines you out on the right way, and you follow that way, He's going to see you through. The Bible says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And listen, and he shall be like a tree planted, not one that just grows up here in the desert, planted by the rivers of water, which bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. We may not see that prosperity, but God is able to make it prosper. So, back to this now, verse uh, 11. Forget his works and his wonders that he had showed them. Verse 12 now. Marvelous things uh, marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. Zoan is called uh, Egypt here, or is, is spoken of as the land of Egypt. Verse 13 says, He divided the sea and caused them to pass through, and He made the waters to stand up, to stand as in heap. By the way, this is a picture of baptism. <clears throat> in the 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 and 2, it says, Moreover, brethren, I would that you should, uh, that you should be, wouldn't, I would not that you should be ignorant, how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Now listen. And were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. You see that? He divided the sea and caused them to pass through, and he made the waters to stand up as in heat. And they were uh, covered with the waters in the sense that the, the mist was over them, the sea was on, every, on both sides, and they walked through on dry ground. By the way, if God had not performed a miracle there, even though he might have parted the waters, it would have been impassable had not he dried up the bed of that sea for them to cross forth. It still took a miracle, didn't it, to make the road for them to go. Remember, there were about three million people to pass over that sea, a mixed multitude, a great that could hardly be numbered, all with the children of Israel, plus the mixed multitude that came out of Egypt with them. And then we find, follow down in our psalm that we're teaching, it says in verse 14, In the daytime also he led them with a cloud, and, and all the night with a light with a light of fire. Here's a, an example of divine leadership. The Bible says that they were led by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God gave them a guiding light day and night to lead them throughout their wilderness journey. Someone says, well, how is God going to lead them? God has given us His Word and His Holy Spirit to lead us throughout all of our wilderness journey. That's what He's doing now. You say, well, I'm in the wilderness. I don't know where to go. I don't know how to follow leadership. God says, I've given you the guidance if you want it. He says, the Word of God, Thy Word is what? A lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, said the psalmist. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That, uh, God's word guides us. 
Jesus said He would send the Holy Spirit plus the Word of God. He sent the Holy Spirit and He shall guide you into all truth. He's going to dwell, be with you and He shall dwell. He'll be in you and He'll abide in you. He'll remain in you. How long? Forever. You see, there's no such thing as He's giving you the Holy Spirit and I'm going to take it back. When, uh, when David prayed in Psalm 51 and confessed his sin, he said, Lord, uh, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. In the Old Testament days, the Holy Spirit wasn't given as a permanent abiding presence as after Christ uh, lived and died on the cross and sent his Holy Spirit to indwell every believer permanently. But the Holy Spirit of God would come upon men to do certain deeds, like Gideon. Remember, the Spirit of God came upon him. He went out and did things. And even Samson. And then the Spirit would be withdrawn from men. And that's why David was speaking in that way. But in the New Testament, the Bible says, uh, when we've received Him in whom you also trusted. Listen, in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, it says, in whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, or upon believing, you were sealed <clears throat> with that Holy Spirit of promise. And it says, which is the earnest or guarantee or promise of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. So you're sealed. The Holy Spirit Himself is that seal. You know God's people are real secure. You know why? The Bible says uh, your life is hid with Christ, with Christ in God. With Christ in God and sealed with the Holy Spirit. You know what the devil would have to do to take you away from from Jesus? First of all, he'd have to break the seal of the Holy Spirit. Then he'd, if that was done, he'd have to take you away from from God and then away from Christ. It'd be a very difficult thing, wouldn't it? And Jesus said, "My, I and my Father are one. You see, I really believe in security. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that if you're saved, God's going to keep you. Now, I know you may get off and do a lot of things and cause yourself a lot of trouble and heartache. And brother, when you do, there's a high cost to sinning. Don't ever think that you'll get by with it. Whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom He receiveth. But I'll tell you one thing, if you belong to God, you belong to God. There's no question about that. If you have children, they're your children. They may be doing a lot of things you don't like them to do. They're still yours. Good For good or bad, better or worse, they're still yours. And we're still God's, and God's going to take care of us. And Jesus prayed in John 17 in his great high priestly prayer, and he says, Father, I will that all those, he didn't say a few of them, all those whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. So he said, Christ's prayer is that all of us will be with him in glory. And so I believe that with all my heart that if God saves you he has the power to keep you regardless of all the things that you may face and I know you're going to suffer uh, terribly for the the sins you commit and I know that uh, sometimes we just have to reap what we sow in this life and sometimes we have to be chastened and corrected sometimes that chastening is with a word sometimes it's with, with a switch sometimes it's more severe than we would like but it's all because God loves us whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. So, we find that he guides them, led them with a cloud and uh, and all the night with the light of fire. Now, verse 15 says, 
He clave the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as out of the great depths. Moses took, God told Moses, he says, you stand before the rock. The people were murmuring, said there's no water to drink. And Moses, he said to Moses, you smite the rock and the waters will come forth. That same passage we read in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 10, rather, verses 1 and 2, where it says they were all baptized in the Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Verse 3 says, and they did all eat the same spiritual meat. And verse 4 says, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So that rock that was smitten was symbolical of Christ and the water of life that he brings forth. And by the way, that water came forth as a result of that rock being smitten. Our salvation and the blessings of salvation have come forth to us as a result of Jesus Christ being crucified and been smitten on the cross of Calvary and suffering for our sins. There is no blessing that flows to us apart from His grace and His, His sufferings on the cross. The Bible says, He that's, listen carefully, Romans chapter 8 again, He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? So it's a result of those sufferings that God freely gives us all things. Look in verse uh, 16. Our time is just about gone. We'll try to conclude here in a moment. It says in verse 16, He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like a river. These waters uh, were abundant. There was plenty of it. There was uh, a freeness of it. There was an abundance of it. God's salvation is abundant. And God's gift is free. By the way, they didn't have to buy this water from the rock. They didn't have to pay for it. They didn't have to work for it. They didn't have to do anything for it. God in grace provided them this living, this fresh flowing water, springing water from the rock as, he, as Moses smote the rock according to God's command. And you and I cannot earn the waters of salvation. We cannot earn uh, our salvation or the blessings that come to us through Christ. In verse 17, And they sinned yet more against him by provoking, provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. You know, they, in spite of God's blessings, they began to lust for something that they wanted. And God had fed them with manna, and they lusted after uh, meat, flesh. They said, give us flesh to eat. They wanted to... They remembered the flesh pots of Egypt. They remembered the onions and the garlic and the flesh pots of Egypt. They said, oh, it was better for us to be back there than it was to be out here without food. We become ungrateful and dissatisfied sometimes. And that's one of the worst things that can happen to us. God has the blessings for us. And God has the food for us. And He was feeding them with manna from on high. We'll read about it later on where they did eat angels' food and yet they lusted in their own hearts for what they wanted and they murmured against God and God sent fiery serpents among them. Remember that when they complained about the food, God says, okay, if you don't want to eat my food, uh, I'll send you some food. They, he gave them flesh and then as they complained about the manna again, 
we find that God sent fiery serpents among them and the plague came upon them and many people died. And then that's why Moses had to make a serpent